Welcome to Black in Time, the podcast remembering pioneering people and defining moments from Black British history. I'm your host Liv and I'm a bit of a nerd. I started this podcast as a challenge to myself to find something that happened each day in Black British history. From births and deaths to events of national and international importance, each episode I'll look at the week to come and explore events that happened each day in history. Here's the events from December 21st through to December 28th. My name is Connie Mark, and I came to the United Kingdom in November 1954. On December 21st, 1923, Constance MacDonald, later known as Connie Mark, was born in Kingston, Jamaica. World War II broke out when she was 16, and at age 19, she joined the Auxiliary Territorial Service, ATS, serving in Jamaica as a medical secretary. Her duties included recording the injuries sustained by servicemen in combat. Before long, Mark was promoted to the rank of Lance Corporal. Army regulations stated that upon promotion, Lance Corporals were entitled to tuppence a day. When Mark applied for this benefit, she was told that Jamaican ATS members were not eligible. This experience was one of many that spurred her on to fight for greater recognition for black servicemen and women. Upon settling in Britain, Mark became heavily involved in activism within the black community. She enlisted the help of a local MP to restore Mary Seacole's crumbling grave. This led to the foundation of an organisation called Friends of Mary Seacole, with Mark serving as founding president. In 1981, a memorial service was held to mark the centenary of Seacole's death, and it has run annually ever since. In 1989, 50 years after the outbreak of World War II, Mark put together an exhibition commemorating West Indian ex-servicemen and women. The exhibition comprised photos from service personnel and the archives of the Imperial War Museum. For the rest of her life, Mark continued with community activism. She was heavily involved with numerous organisations, including Descendants, which helps people of African and Caribbean backgrounds to understand and celebrate their cultural heritage. We will always remain brothers and friends and we'll always be your boys. On December 22nd, 2013, one of the UK's most successful black boy bands, JLS, performed together for the last time before going on a hiatus. The foursome formed in 2006 and was comprised of Aston Merigold, Arisha Williams, Marvin Humes and JB Gill. JLS burst onto the scene as contestants on the 2008 series of The X Factor, finishing in second place behind Alexandra Burke. In 2009, JLS released their self-titled debut album. Their debut single, Beat Again, won a MOBO for best song that year. Over the next few years, the group released four more albums and went on to win two Brit Awards. Their split was announced in April 2013, and on December 4th, 2013, 
their goodbye tour kicked off in Nottingham. Their final show took place at London's O2 Arena in front of 20,000 fans. In February 2020, the group announced that they would reunite for the Beat Again tour. However, due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, the tour has been postponed. On December 23rd, 1957, the British TV presenter Trisha Goddard was born. Goddard started out as an air hostess for Gulf Air. In her spare time, she contributed to the in-flight magazine and interned in radio. In the 1980s, she emigrated to Australia, where her journalism career took off. Although a relatively junior reporter, she interviewed the singer Stevie Wonder and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Months after his release from prison, Goddard also interviewed Nelson Mandela during his trip to Australia. In 1988, Goddard became Australia's first black TV presenter as the host of public affairs for the 7.30 Report, a primetime current affairs show. She also hosted Play School, a long-running kids TV show. Following her success in Australia, Goddard was headhunted by ITV and in 1998, Trisha Goddard, The Talk Show, first aired. At its peak, the show had 1.3 million viewers. Topics covered included family reunions, paternity disputes and light-hearted debates. In 2004, production ceased after ITV refused to allow Goddard's production company to make future episodes of the show. Not long after, the show found a new home on Channel 5, where it aired until 2010. Two years later, the Trisha Goddard show made its debut in America, where it ran until 2014. Although not the first black woman to front a British chat show, Goddard has certainly cemented her place as TV royalty. December 24th, 1964, the mother of Carnival, Claudia Jones, died aged 49. Jones was born Claudia Vera Cumberbatch in Trinidad and Tobago on February 21st, 1915. Aged eight, she and her family moved to New York City and shortly after, Jones contracted tuberculosis, which left her with irreparable lung damage. She lived in New York for over 30 years and was an active member of the Communist Party USA. A member of the party's National Committee, Jones also became editor of the Negro Affairs section of the party paper. Her activism led to numerous arrests and imprisonment stints on Ellis Island. It was here that she had her first heart attack, aged just 36. In 1950, the US government ordered that Jones be deported. She was refused entry to Trinidad and Tobago on account of her being considered troublesome. Instead, the UK offered her residency on humanitarian grounds and she was exiled there in late 1955. Within a couple of years of being in the UK, Jones founded Britain's first black newspaper, the West Indian Gazette. 
The newspaper sought to unite West Indians and foster a dialogue with black internationalist movements. A few months after the launch of the West Indian Gazette in 1958, race riots broke out in Notting Hill and Nottingham. Jones sought suggestions for initiatives that could wash the taste of Notting Hill and Nottingham out of people's mouths. Someone suggested a carnival and Jones used her connections to secure St Pancras Town Hall. The first indoor carnival took place in January 1959 and was televised by the BBC. The indoor carnival ran every year until Jones's death and laid the foundations for what we now call Notting Hill Carnival. Jerry's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. And man will live forevermore. To commemorate Christmas Day, I'll be sharing two memorable performances from this day in history. Both featured on the 1979 Top of the Pops Christmas special. Kicking off the show is a replay of the disco group Boney M's performance from the previous year. Mary's Boy Child, Oh My Lord, was a 1978 hit that is still a Christmas banger today. Boney M was superstars in the 70s, and the group's members included Marcia Barrett, Liz Mitchell, Maisie Williams, and Bobby Farrell. Despite being a foursome, lead vocals for the group were primarily sung by Barrett and Mitchell, as well as the German record producer, Frank Farian. You see, Farian essentially was Boney M. Initially, he sang all of the songs, with the choruses just dubbed falsettos. When one of Farian's songs became a hit, he decided to hire performers to front the songs on TV. Enter the foursome that we recognise as Boney M. Also performing on the 1979 Top of the Pops Christmas special was 21-year-old Janet Kay. That summer, her single Silly Games peaked at number two in the UK charts, ushering in the genre of Lover's Rock. Lover's Rock is a style of reggae that emerged in the 1970s when London sound system owners began cutting romantic ballads with young women singing. It was solidified as a genre by Dennis Harris, who set up a record label with the same name. The genre defined a generation and provided continuity for second-generation Black Brits through its distinctive sound and reggae roots. Dennis Bovell, author of Silly Games, wrote the song with the intention of it becoming a hit. He deliberately included the song's trademark high note because he wanted every woman to try and sing that note when it came on in the clubs. Having worked with Janet Kay previously, he knew that she would be able to hit the note with ease. On Boxing Day 1916, George Bermand believed to be the first black officer in the British Army, was killed by a shell during World War I. He was born in Jamaica in 1892, where he spent the early years of his life. 
In 1908, the man travelled to England with his mother and three siblings to join his father. He attended Deutsch College and studied engineering at UCL. Shortly after the war broke out, he joined the London University Training Corps and in 1915 he was granted a commission in the Royal Field Artillery, becoming a second lieutenant. After finishing his training, he went out to France in November 1915 and it was there that he was killed by a shell the following year. The bookshop became like a community centre because people wanted to know about housing, they have problems with the police and all kinds of different things like that. So it was really like a centre. On December 27, 1977, Bogle Overture Bookshop was attacked by racist vandals. 1977 marked a year of systematic attacks against black, community and white left bookshops. Bogle Overture Bookshop was first established in 1968 and ran from the living room of revolutionary couple Jessica and Eric Huntley. A year later, the Huntleys founded the radical publishing company Bogle Overture Publications. It was named after Paul Bogle, hero of the Morant Bay Uprising in Jamaica, and Haitian revolutionary Toussaint Louverture. At the time, books written by black authors and about black history were rare in mainstream bookshops in the UK. Bogle Overture, along with New Beacon and Alison and Busby, formed an integral part of progressive independent publishing in London. In 1975, following complaints from neighbours, the bookshop was forced to move to commercial premises. Its site on Chigwell Place in West Ealing served as a community hub and was home to organised meetings, talks and readings. The attack on December 27, 1977, was one of many that the bookshop had been subjected to since opening. In 1977 alone, Bogle Overture was targeted at least four times. Vandals posted racist signs, National Front stickers, and splashed paint over the fascia board and windows. Publications such as Voice of the White Majority and National Front Literature were also left behind. Despite the frequency of these attacks, appeals for help to the Home Secretary and Home Office were ignored. Following the assassination of Walter Rodney in 1980, the bookshop was renamed in honour of him. A collection of Rodney's papers, The Groundings with My Brothers, were the first title published by Bogolovich of Publications. You've been listening to Black in Time. I hope you found today's episode as interesting as I did. For more information about any of the topics covered in today's episode, do check out the show notes. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Follow us on Instagram at Black in Time to track events from the past every day on that day. On next week's episode, we'll be covering events relating to music, student politics and a blaze we cannot forget. Until next time.